Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. And we also find reference, we can't get away from it, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, encouraging us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But the point is that it's no longer about a specific day as it had been in the law. It's not about a specific day, but it's more about why we now gather. It's why we gather And in fact, in Jesus, every day is a Sabbath day for us. We're to worship him every day, not just Saturday or on Sunday, because in the greatest way possible, he gives us rest from self-effort, from sin, from striving for holiness, from striving for righteousness. Jesus is our Sabbath rest, and all of what the Sabbath law pointed to was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So yeah, let's gather. Let's gather Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sundays too, you know? We could do that. But it's still not about the day that we're gathering. It's just about the fact that we are resting in Jesus. He's our Sabbath rest. Even when we're doing this, this isn't our Sabbath rest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. We just gather to celebrate him. So I hope that makes sense to you guys. And I know that there's a lot of bondage in Christianity over this issue, and there should not be, you know? And and sadly, I think sometimes pastors and churches have made Christians feel guilty over things that we really shouldn't. You know, when we look at the law, we've really been set free from the law, but we haven't been set free to just, to just float about, but we've been set free so that we can truly worship and we can truly honor God. You know, a number of you guys, you were not here when I taught this over the years, but you'll find as you spend time with us, you know, people ask us, and, and certainly don't take this as a hint for giving. It's not. But people will say, well, how do you guys, I notice you don't take a collection here. You know, you guys believe in tithing. And the answer is no, don't believe in tithing. We believe in giving. We believe in free will offerings. And when I look to the Old Testament, I realize that the tithe exists in the Old Testament, but I don't see it in the New Testament. It's not there. And yet, what does he say? Be a cheerful giver. Give with your heart. But see, I always take that and I make that the illustration for everything when it comes to the law. That's God's heart. He set us free from the law so that we can now engage in things that we do just out of a pure heart of worship, of wanting to worship him. And so when it comes to giving here, we've never had a day that we've never paid a bill. We've never had that. Even in the season of COVID, you know, it's just been a blessing of what God has done in the midst of this. But it isn't because we're trying to get people to keep a law. It's because we've set people free from the law. And people just do what the Lord's putting on their heart to do. And I trust the Lord enough to know that he's going to lead you in the right way if your heart's in the right place with him. You know, whether it's giving or it's it's worshiping him or it's serving him. I always say that in terms of service here. You know, people will say, well, you know, when I walked into my last church, there was an expectation. I got sized up for what I could contribute in my service to the Lord. Look, we want you to be able to serve the Lord. But at the same time, nobody's sizing you up because when I look at the scriptures, it says that God needs to move on your heart, not not some law that the church established is to push you in a direction to get you to do that. We want to come alongside of you. We want to see what God is doing in your life. We want to encourage you in the things that he's encouraging you in. And as we do that, the needs get met. 
you know, in the body of Christ. We've been set free from the law. And I hope you see the connection between this and even the Sabbath. We've been set free from the law. Don't be placed back under bondage to things that you've been set free from. And yet, in your freedom, find what God would have you to do that would lead to greater worship of him, because that's his heart in the new covenant. It's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But as we look at this, you know, these Pharisees, by the simple act, you know, of, of Jesus' disciples of picking up and rubbing grain between their hands to separate the wheat from the chaff on the Sabbath so that they could eat grain, Jesus and disciples became lawbreakers in their mind. And, and this was blowing their synapses over it. And, and what's Jesus' response? Look at verse 3. But Jesus answering them said, have you not even read this? What David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. I want you to note Jesus' opening statement here. Have you not even read this? Have you not even read this? Now, this wasn't so much a question as it was a rebuke. Jesus rebuking these self-righteous religious men who considered themselves scholars and experts when it came to the interpretation and understanding of the scriptures. And Jesus saying, basically, you don't even know what you're reading. Do you even know what you're reading? You've got the scriptures. Do you even know what they say? That's essentially what he's saying to them here. And, and he's questioning whether or not they understood it, even because they're claiming to know these things. And, and he points them to the simple account found in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 6, where David and his men were fleeing from Saul, and, and the priests of Nob gave them the showbread from the tabernacle to eat because they were hungry and they needed food. And he's using the scriptural account to make the case that what Jesus and his disciples were doing wasn't any kind of a violation of God's law. He's challenged him to think about why it was okay for David and his men to eat the showbread from the tabernacle that was reserved for the priests alone in their worship of the Lord. And it likely, likely, although the account doesn't tell us that in 1 Samuel 21, but likely because the connection is here, it was likely on the Sabbath as well. But, but, but that somehow the Pharisees would think that it's okay for David and his men to do that, but not okay for Jesus and his disciples to simply pick and glean a little bit of wheat from, from a field to satisfy their hunger as they're moving through it on the Sabbath? And the answer was glaringly evident. Why did they think this was wrong? Because, you know, why would it be right for Jesus to do that? Because sincere human need takes priority over legalistic rituals and traditions required by the law. And most certainly it takes priority over the traditions that these self-righteous people, the Pharisees, have implemented and inserted into law on their own. You see, rejected and pursued David and his men, they were hungry. They needed food. And the priests of Nob allowed them to go into the tabernacle, into the very house of God, and to eat the showbread, which, which by God's law was reserved only for the priests alone. But given the circumstances, God made an exception to the law for them to do this. There was sin in Israel. Saul had been rejected as king, but Saul was also trying to kill the very man that God had appointed to replace him. And driven into the wilderness by Saul, David and his men, they just simply needed food. And the law concerning the showbread was never intended to be slavishly followed, you know, legalistically followed to, to, to permit a king to starve. 
So therefore, David did nothing wrong in eating the bread under those conditions. And now, here similarly, Jesus and his disciples, they're hungry. But the Pharisees could care less about their hunger. They could care less about it because they cared more about their law than they cared about human need. They cared more about the law than they cared about human need. And if it came down to it, they'd, they'd rather have let Jesus and others starve than to allow them to pick and glean just a little bit of wheat on the Sabbath because it violated their interpretation of the Sabbath law. So far as God was concerned, the Sabbath law was never intended to forbid a work of necessity. But these guys, they simply didn't know. They didn't understand or even have the heart of God behind the law in their interpretation of it. As one commentator, he said, this is exactly what many people steeped in tradition simply cannot accept. They don't believe that what God really wants is mercy before sacrifice. They don't believe that love to others is more important than religious rituals. They don't believe that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. As G. Campbell Morgan also said it well, he said, any application of the Sabbath law which operates to the detriment of man is out of harmony with God's purpose. And these men, their ideas are out of harmony with God's purpose. They're not in alignment with God's heart. And Jesus is telling them that. Look on at one more thing that Jesus says to them about this. Look at verse 5. And he said to them, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now, simply put, he, Jesus, as God, and note the direct claim to divinity once again, because here Jesus is making a claim of divinity, right here. People say, I don't know, Jesus never made a claim. Yes, he does, all the time. And here it is. And he's saying that, hey, as the Lord of Sabbath, I gave the law in the first place. I gave the law in the first place, and no one is better qualified to interpret its true spiritual meaning and to save us from misunderstanding than I am. Jesus saying that he had that authority to know if his disciples had broken the Sabbath law, because again, he's the one who established the Sabbath law, not these legalistic men who put themselves in the place of God. Folks, we need to be very careful about the way that we apply God's word to the lives of people. We need to be very, very careful. I'm not talking about making provision for people to do sinful things or to avoid or reinterpret passages in the Bible that clearly address and define sin and sinful behaviors or lessening the impact or the implication of those scriptures. But I am saying that we need to be very careful that, number one, we don't add our spin to the interpretation of what God says clearly in his word in order to control the behaviors of people as we think they should behave. That's human tendency. That's our tendency. That's a pastoral tendency. It's one I've fought for 19 years to try not to do, to understand that my obligation is to teach you the Word of God, not to be your Holy Spirit, because the moment I place myself in the role of your Holy Spirit, I promise you this, I'm going to add things to the rules in order to constrain you. I trust God enough. I trust the Holy Spirit enough to stand here to teach you, yes, to correct and rebuke if it's necessary to do that, but in doing that, to then walk away, go home, put my head on the pillow, and sleep soundly because I know I have fulfilled my obligation. Now it's in the Lord's hands. You belong to Him. You don't belong to me. 
right? I'm the under-shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. He will lead you in the paths of righteousness. I can point in the direction. I can share with you what he said. But at the end of that, I need to be able to walk away. And you need to too. You need to too as you deal with people. We can't define spirituality in a way that scriptures simply do not define it. We need to be very careful with that. Secondly, we got to be careful that we don't miss the heart of God behind the things that he asks of people in his word. You know, I often use the illustration of Peter in that moment taking the sword, you know, when they come to get Jesus and he takes the sword and cuts off Malchus's ear, right? And Jesus is almost like, what are you guys thinking? You know, he puts the ear back on him. And sometimes we as Christians can take the sword of the word and use it like a, like a, like a machete, you know, and hack away at people you know, in ways that that just does not reflect God's heart. We need to be careful with this, you see, because we, like the Pharisees, can easily make these mistakes. And in the process, we become the definers of spirituality for men. And that only ever leads to nothing more than spiritual burdens and bondage, which God desires for no man or woman to find themselves under when he has paid such a high price to set them free. Always remember Jesus' heart for men and women. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Yeah, his yoke, unlike the yoke of the the Pharisees, and unlike the yoke that we will oftentimes tend to put people under, his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. We let that guide us as we, as we open the Scriptures to men and women, and we need to open them up in their full context. I don't believe we should skip over parts that are just displeasing to people. They can be mad at the Scriptures, right? That's okay for them to be mad because Scripture is telling them something they don't like. But that's very different than you and I adding to the Scriptures and making the Scriptures say something that we want it to say. When they're mad at that, they're really mad at something they have a right to be mad at. Let them be confronted by the Scriptures themselves. Share the scriptures in their full context, but share to share it in their full context, because as you do that, God's heart is in it and God's heart will be beating through it and it will change lives in a way that it won't when we begin to put our own inflections on it. And so let's keep that in mind. We'll look on. He says now in verse six, now it happened on another Sabbath. So Luke tells us that despite everything that just went down with the Pharisees in regard to Jesus' activities on the Sabbath, it happened on another Sabbath. In other words, Luke is letting us know that despite the, the criticisms of the religious crowd and, and, and that Jesus has had to contend with, he's right back at it. He's just, he's like that Bobo doll. You guys don't know what the Bobo doll is, do you? Right? If you've ever taken a psychology class, you'd know they used it. But the Bobo doll was this clown on like a rounded bottom and you could punch the bobo doll and it goes down and it just comes right back up you could punch away at that bobo doll it goes down it comes up well jesus is like that he's like the bobo doll these guys are flinging all kinds of insults all kinds of challenges all kinds of things against him he just keeps coming back to it he just keeps going the criticisms of the pharisees do not deter jesus from continuing to minister as he sees fit even on the sabbath i like that I like that, because while in the face of criticism, a lot of people in ministry today would, would quickly shy away from doing anything more to add to the criticism, because they're more afraid of men than they are of anything else, Jesus does not do that, nor will he ever do that. 
nor will he ever do that. Unlike a lot of people in ministry today, Jesus did not fear the opinions of men as he obeyed the Father and walked according to the Scriptures. And that is the key. That's the key to being able to do that. As we walk in submission to God's will for our lives and in obedience to his word, he will always, he will always give us a confidence that will enable us to ignore the criticisms that people will levy at us. And we will have the confidence that naturally comes from knowing that what we are doing is pleasing to God. And so what is there to fear from men? Why would we pay much attention to the criticisms of men over what we're doing if what we're doing aligns with the will of God in his stated word? Why would we fear? Why would we back down? You know, I, I will just tell you, and just to go off on a personal note on this, it, but it's the reason why I've walked confidently in, in, in doing the things the way I've been doing them in the midst of this COVID situation here at the church. I'm sure that I have critics. I'm sure I do. I'd be a fool, you know, not to think that there aren't critics of this, but I've walked confidently in the things that I've been doing because, number one, I believe I'm walking in submission to exactly what the Lord has asked me to do. I have not done things because the government has told me to do it but I've done things because the Lord has asked me to do it. But from the very beginning, I've had that peace about what God has, has called me to do in the midst of our situation, things that, that he's impressed upon my heart that he would use for his purposes and, and as a witness to our community and to, to people who we don't even see who are watching us. Is they're watching churches across the country, but they're watching us, unbelievers that can look and see and that the Lord has said that if I obey him, he'll use that. And secondly, I've also been obedient to what I believe God's Word clearly commands me to do. You know, as I look at Scripture, Peter seems very clear in communicating God's heart in regard to what should be our attitude and response to the mandates that government authorities impose on us, regardless of how we feel about those things. Here's what Peter says. First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. As I shared some time ago, you know, I... I'm not doing what I'm doing in ministry or in my life personally for the sake of the government, but I'm doing, I'm doing it for the sake of the Lord. I'm doing it for the sake of the Lord. I honor my king with a capital K by honoring the king with a small K, which is what Peter says to do. In other words, I'm doing what I'm doing because this is what God, in his word, has clearly stated that I'm to do. Now, I understand that there are those who say that this passage doesn't apply to this situation that we're in, and they point to Acts chapter 5, verse 29. You all know that verse, right? Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. You'll hear that verse used a lot today. And you know what? I'm not the judge of others who have a conviction about that passage and that verse, but I do not agree 
I do not in good conscience or conviction agree with their conclusions. The statement recorded in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, taken in its context, is given in response to what Peter and the other disciples were being commanded, specifically commanded, to do by the Jewish religious leadership, something that was completely against the will of God and in contradiction to the calling that he had placed upon them. The verses which come before that particular verse we love to quote gives us the complete context, and here's what it says. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 27 through verse 28, says this, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? What name? Talking about the name of Jesus. And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Now, listen to verse 29, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The Jewish leadership was forbidding them in any form, in any form from teaching in Jesus' name and from promoting the doctrines associated with Jesus and Christianity. And given those circumstances, it was quite right for Peter to refuse such a command as it was against the express will of God. But folks... I mean, think about this for a minute. If anyone, including government officials, commanded me, you, to stop preaching, to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus, or to stop teaching the doctrines of Christianity from stop teaching the Word of God, I think we'd have no choice but to ignore men and obey God, right? I think you'd agree with me on that. But no one has given us that command. No one has told us that. Like everyone else, I don't like the constraints that I'm having to live with or, or, or that I'm placed under in order to minister or to serve the Lord. No one has yet, in the process, no one has yet forbid me or any of us to do what Peter and the others were being forbidden from doing in that moment. I can, you can, we can preach and declare Jesus' name. We can go out and I'm going to do it today, right outside, doing it right now, doing it online, doing it everywhere. We can do this. We can go out and we can share. No one's forbid us from doing that. No one's forbid us from doing what Peter and the other disciples were being forbidden from doing. We can preach and teach Jesus. We just need to adjust the format. That's a different issue. We can meet, but with some limitations placed upon us for a season. But let's be clear and let's be honest about this. Getting the emotion out of it, which is really what drives this argument, We're not being forbidden from doing these things. So I cannot in good conscience agree with those who believe we need to ignore the clear command given by God in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. There's nothing that's negated what Peter has said to us. There's no scriptural basis for me to refuse to honor the mandates established by our government. I believe to do so actually puts me in conflict with God's will as expressed in his word and to me personally. So while I'm sure that there are those who are critical of how I'm ministering right now, like Jesus, I simply choose to ignore those criticisms and to walk confidently in how God has called me as his servant and under shepherd to walk in the midst of it all. My focus is on the Lord and what he wants. It's not on men. It's not on women on what they want. However, and here's the point, not knowing God's desire Not knowing his word, not walking fully in it, would make ignoring the voices of men much, much harder.
What basis do you have if you're not knowing God's will, if you're not knowing his word? What basis do you have for ignoring the voices of men? Where's the confidence? You're not going to have it. And that's the takeaway for your life in Christ. If you are not living your life in submission to God's will and in obedience to his word, assuming you know God's word, these days that's a big assumption. I'm not saying that for you guys, but just in our society as a whole. I believe there's a famine of God's word in the land, to be honest with you, as Amos said there would be one day, you know. But but knowing God's word, if you're not living in submission to his will, if you're not walking in obedience to his word, you will have a very hard time ignoring all the voices of men when they rise up in criticism of what you're doing spiritually. You'll have a hard time. You'll find yourself responding and catering to the voices of men more than you will to the voice of God. Know God's will for your life and submit to it. Know God's word and walk in it. And as you do this, you're going to find that the voices of men, it ain't going to matter to you much more anymore, just as it didn't to Jesus. He could have cared less. And his disciples will get to that place too, where they're going to care less because they know his will, they know his word, and they're walking confidently in it. Jesus knew the Father's will, he knew his word, and so he walked confidently in obedience to the Father despite the criticisms that men levied at him. And so too will you and I. Amen? Look on at verse 6 again. He says this, Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. And so Luke tells us, here they come again. These guys are coming to, to get Jesus one more time. You know, to find a reason to accuse him, to find a reason to, to, to discredit him. And this time, it, Luke tells us that there's a guy with a withered right hand. And you can tell Luke's a physician based on the description he gives, right? He knew exactly what was going on. But what's significant in what he's describing is more than just the physical ailment. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.